scandals have cut short many a political career. In 1998, as Congress was deciding whether to impeach President Bill Clinton over the Monica Lewinsky matter, Louisiana Republican Bob Livingston, who was just about to become Speaker of the House, acknowledged that he had had extramarital affairs, and he didn't take the job. I thank my constituents for the opportunity to serve them. I hope they will not think badly of me for leaving. I thank Alan Martin, my chief of staff, and all of my staff for their tireless work on my behalf. And I thank my wife, most especially, for standing by me. Usually, before it gets that far, Alan Huffman and Michael Rajibian are on the job. They're oppo research guys, opposition research hired by candidates and would-be candidates to look privately for the kind of stuff politicians would not want to become public. Sometimes they research the other guy, sometimes they research their own guy. Either way, it's all about finding real evidence, which is even more important in the fog of social media. They wrote a book about it called We're With Nobody, and Alan Huffman explains how digging for dirt can actually clean up democracy. If a political campaign is an ecosystem, what is the niche? What's the function of opposition research? Well, it's basically just to force the truth out into the open. I mean, that's the short answer. You, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that get thrown out there, particularly in the age of social media. And uh, so our job is to, to define the, the issues and document them. Now, in the age of social media, you would think that it's all out there. So, so that you'd be. <laughs> oh, it in... is all out there. Some of it is way out there. You know, the thing about social media is that it, it in some ways, has dulled people to the truth, and you know, the facts are often perverted. You read an article on social media, and maybe it's based on documentation, maybe it's not. So. Anyone can say anything about anyone. It gets shared a million times, and as a result, sometimes we feel like voices in the wilderness, you know, trying to actually document things. We were trained as newspaper reporters, and and you could never insert anything into a story that you couldn't back up. I mean, you had to have the documentation. And now, you know, you just go online, and there it is, and no one even mentions where the original documentation was. And so a lot of our work involves going to county courthouses in addition to spending mind-numbing hours online, pouring through documents that no one else probably would be interested in. But the hope is that if you can prove it, that it will get legs and that it will matter in, in the outcome of the campaign. People might think that the goal of opposition research is to drive other candidates, to scare other candidates away from running. Is that true? I, th I would say in some cases, yes. I mean, we've actually done research on potential candidates that uncovered serious problems that, once they were released, did discourage them from running. I mean, we've actually seen some candidates drop out of the race, I mean, before they ever actually entered it. So, you know, I, a lot of people ask us, you know, well, aren't you just basically keeping people from running that might otherwise have, have been good leaders by you know, making them concerned about the possibility of, of having this information made public. And I think it, it's hard to say who might choose not to run because of expected scrutiny. I mean, it's amazing to us how few people really do consider the skeletons in their closet or the mistakes they've made. You know, everyone makes mistakes, and, and uh, 
it uh, usually it has more to do with how they respond to the public notice of those mistakes than the mistakes themselves. But sometimes, you know, you find things that, wow, you know, you think, I can't believe this person ran for office knowing that they had this in their history. Do campaigns hire you to vet their own candidates? Yes, we definitely, in almost every case, we will research our candidate the same way we research the opponent. We don't pull any punches because there's nothing to be gained by someone, you know, concealing from you your own weaknesses. So in that sense, our work is totally objective. The, when it becomes not objective is in who gets the report. And so they then have that information and can use it. But sometimes we find that our candidate is the weaker of the two, and it's pretty obvious when you read the reports. Without names, can you give some specifics where you found things on a candidate that you think, can anybody go forward in public life knowing that this is in his or her record? I think it was the last cycle two years ago, a candidate who just had a history of not paying his bills and being sued by everyone from other attorneys to his, his the guy who mowed his grass for not paying his bills. And we were reading this and thinking, you know, who's going to want to vote for this guy? And then, we, then our second realization was, uh-oh, <laughs> we may not get paid either. In fact, we did not get paid, and we ended up having to sue the guy's are you surprised at what voters care and don't care about? Absolutely. And sometimes, yeah, you see a candidate and you think, ah, oh, this is just, you know, no insurmountable. And, it, and it's true. But in other cases, you think you really found something and the voters just don't respond at all. And then something that seemed fairly minor really, really matters. And uh, Trump comes to mind because, you know, a person who says so many outlandish things that are often contradictory. You know, in a normal campaign, those things would just be the death knell. But in this case, they just slide right through. And it has a lot to do with people just wanting to believe in him no matter what. And, you know, his comment that he could shoot someone in, in Times Square and no one would care. It's, it, we've never seen that before in a campaign. And so it's a little disconcerting to someone like us, whose job it is to find these things and show the voters with the assumption that it's going to matter. When we started, there were, there were a lot of times where there was a candidate who had huge negatives, but when the campaign released them, the public reacted against that. It was a case where a guy was running for governor, and this guy, the, the, his opposing candidate, released information that he was engaging in sex with uh, transvestites prostitutes. And the reaction was, it was just so unseemly that the public actually sided, and this, this was in Mississippi, mind you, and the transvestites were black and the candidate was white. And yet the public was so offended by the release of this information that he was, re, he was elected. And, and so when you, when you look back at that, the early years, which is everything before basically Monica Lewinsky, the way the public responded to these negative revelations was different. Now they're dulled to them. What effect have super PACs and the Citizens United decision had on your work? Because there are now multi-million dollar organizations out there who may be doing pretty much what you're doing on behalf of their guy. Yeah, you know, it can be a little scary because 
you know, when you have just unlimited resources, the biggest danger in, in terms of, of the evaluation of the facts about a candidate is this truth by repetition, you know, and, and if, you, if you have the money to create a, a, an ostensible truth and repeat it ad infinitum until it becomes part of just the, the publicly accepted You mean mythology. an untruth that you make into a truth by repetition. Exactly. Stephen Colbert called it truthiness. And sometimes it's dazzle camouflage. There's a lot of ways to misuse the truth. And the more money you have, the greater potential you have for doing that. In your book, We're With Nobody, the title refers to when you go to look for public records and the resistance you get and the people who are guardians of the public records who think, I don't think you're the public we want to give this to. Why is there such a misunderstanding about open records and public access to records in this country? Well, I think it's partly because the people who, who control access to those records like it that way. Many times we have gone into some county courthouse and and there was somebody trying to get information, and the person behind the counter was just resisting, whether because they didn't want them to have that information or because they didn't want to be bothered to do it. We love it when someone does that. It's, it's part of the, the game for us is to overcome those obstacles. We know how to do it, and they, they don't realize it when we walk in. But sometimes you see the unsuspecting public in there, and we have actually intervened and told them, you know, they can't deny you this information. Because that is one of the underpinnings of our democracy. And it's one of the things that really does set the U.S. apart from other countries. And it's crucial. So when we go in and someone starts trying to deny us, then that kind of gets our cackles up and, and we push harder. And if they, depending on why they're, they're trying to deny it, if they're trying to protect someone, it tells us that we're getting warm. We were uh, in a small county courthouse, and we walk in. We know when we go in and we ask for these records, the land transactions, tax history, or whatever, of some well-known public official that, you know, everyone sitting at their desk is going to look up. And then the, one of the clerks actually came out and went out into the parking lot and wrote down our tag number. I mean, I watched her do it. And then later that day, we got followed to our hotel, and, and people sat outside of our hotel and watched us. And like these thugs in this rusty pickup truck. Well, when that happens, when someone is so guarding the information that, that should be public, it, it just tells you you're getting warm. So we go into these courthouses, and they ought to always, they say, now, who are you with? You know, as if that matters. And it doesn't matter in this country. And we always say we're with nobody. That's one thing that I think the average citizen is not aware of, that, you know, these, these are our records. And, you know, they have to give them to you. They're all online now, increasingly. And so, you know, we, we, that's, that's a big, big part of our job is, is to make sure that that information is made public. You know, the Internet, in terms of da online databases, is definitely helpful. Sometimes the Internet databases are not complete. You can't find everything, but you can find a lot of it. You must see it firsthand, the effect of the disappearance of local newspapers on democracy. Oh, yeah. You know, no one's covering the Board of Supervisors meetings. So that they take advantage of that. You know, they do things that they wouldn't have done. And, you know, so you, you have to go in and, and actually read the minutes of those, those meetings to see, if, say, this person.
person who's running for Congress whose only history was as a local county supervisor, you know, you want to see everything he said and every every way he voted, and you know, just you you want to create a portrait of this person. And if the if the newspaper is not covering those meetings anymore, and you're reduced to pouring through the minutes, which may just have the, the scantest information available, and that is a cause for concern. And uh, the the newspapers disappearing, cutting back their staff, you know that that sort of thing it has the effect of just reducing the load of information that is available to anyone trying to evaluate a candidate. Do do people ever look at you and your partner and say you guys are the problem with democracy? Oh yeah, because you're 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 tarnishing it by bringing out all of these negative things. And, and I'm not going to argue that we don't increase the the discourse in in negativity. I mean that is that's our job is to find strengths and weaknesses. But I think ultimately, why would you not want to know? When you have a, a person who is running on a family values campaign who is not paying child support, don't you want to know that? Or, you know, in another case where we had a candidate, you know, who, who beat up his girlfriend in an airport. I mean, is that the kind of guy that you want representing you in Congress? Or a woman who is who says that she you know, is is an upstanding citizen who secretly ran a brothel. Maybe you don't have any problem with brothels, but it tells you something that she presented one image and her actions represented something else altogether. Are there any red lines anymore that you can't cross in public dispute? You know, I'm afraid not. The uh, It's too soon to say what the long-lasting implications are for this presidential campaign, because it has really changed everything. And and the things that Trump in particular has said that would have never been accepted in the past, it has to open the door to other people doing the same. But now with social media and with, with Trump's campaign, it's like you can just say anything and no one cares. What is considered important now often has no bearing on the, on the facts at all. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy democracy. <laughs> oh, beautiful, heroes proved. Alan Huffman, thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you. Liberating strife. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The 1998 moment on the floor of Congress is from C-SPAN. Ray Charles sings America the Beautiful. I am Pat Morrison. America.